We are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments called Vital Signs. Uh, one of our directives here at TFRC is biblical obedience. Scripture is the primary lens we use to determine how we live. Uh, in medicine, vital signs are indicators of essential body functions, pulse and blood pressure, temperature, respiratory rate. These are life-sustaining functions. And we want to remind ourselves of biblical right and wrong because they can tell us how we're doing in following Jesus. A great place to start is the Ten Commandments. Uh, they are vital to following Jesus. And we are saved by grace, not works. Obeying the Ten Commandments is not grounds for salvation. But Jesus affirmed the Ten Commandments and lived by them, and he calls us to do the same. So using the Ten Commandments as vital signs indicate what is influencing us more, God's word or our culture. You can find the Ten Commandments in two places, in the Old Testament, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Uh, in this series, we're taking that, we have been taking them from Exodus 20, and this morning we're looking at the sixth commandment. Uh, the scripture for this morning is Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, and 2 Samuel 11, verses 14 to 17. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Exodus is the second book in the Bible, and 2 Samuel is about a quarter of the way into the Old Testament. Uh, and you can look those passages up on your phone if you would like. Uh, Exodus 20 gives the sixth command, and in 2 Samuel 11, uh, it tells us about King David's attempt to cover up his affair with Bathsheba. Uh, our scripture reader for this morning is Andy Keevan. Andy, please make your way up to the podium. And as Andy does that, I'm going to ask the rest of you who are able, please stand and face the center of the room. Uh, we read from the center of the room to remind us that scripture is uh, central uh, to our lives, and we stand because we believe this is the word of God. And so, Andy, whenever you are ready, please read Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, and 2 Samuel 11, verses 14 to 17. You shall not murder. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it he wrote, Put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, then withdraw from him, so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Andy, thank you very much. You may be seated. Uh, pet peeves, we all have them, uh, things that are just annoying. I have categories of pet peeves myself. There are driving pet peeves that I have, people who drive too slow, especially the ones who quickly pull out in front of you just to do five miles under the speed limit. Um, not using turn signals, texting and driving, these are all driving pet peeves I have. I have flying pet peeves. Someone, you know, brings smelly food on the plane or someone carries a giant suitcase that they just should have checked in, or the person in front of me who reclines their seat all the way back. I also have pace pet peeves, uh, slow elevators, slow traffic, slow internet. Um, we all have pet, pet peeves that get under our skin. I'm sure you have your own list. Um, they make our blood boil. 
Now, these things aren't necessarily going to cause us to break the sixth commandment, but they still make us angry. And the anger, it raises our blood pressure. And when it comes to the command to not murder, we do want to keep uh, our blood pressure in check. And so let's just begin with what this command means. And while it may seem simple on the surface, there are some distinctions to be made. Again, Exodus 20, verse 13, just simply says, you shall not murder. Now, some translations will translate this as you shall not kill. I've never been a fan of that translation because there are differences between killing and murder. While all murder involves killing, not all killing is murder. Murder is a kind of killing. Definition of murder is to kill a person with malice intent. To kill a person with malice intent. Two things I will point out in that definition. First, that both the command in Exodus and by definition in English, murder is the killing of people. By definition, you cannot murder an animal. By definition, you cannot murder a plant. So when you use Roundup, on your weeds, you are not breaking the sixth commandment. Or the killing of animals for food is not breaking the sixth commandment. Hunting is not breaking the sixth commandment. You can only murder a person. And second, not every killing of a person is murder. It must include malice intent. If you get into a car accident and tragically someone dies, even if the accident is your fault, you did not commit murder. Legally, you may still be facing some charges, but from a biblical point of view, you did not break the sixth commandment. The command to not murder is obviously a valuing life command. And at TFRC, we value life. And I do want to just um, talk about, uh, give an update from Sage's Women's Center. Uh, they are a local mission partner that does ministry with uh, for, to women with unplanned pregnancies. And they hosted a lunch this past week that uh, Christy, our missions director, and Pastor Brett and I attended. And again, they value the life of women with unplanned pregnancies and their unborn children. And this past year, they've worked with, it was like over 150 different women. And 60, or over 60 of those women, um, when they first came to Sage's Women's Center, were planning on aborting their children. And after working with Sage's Women's Center, 22 of those over 60 changed their minds, and they chose life. And that's a really big deal. Now, all of the women were encouraged to choose life, and 22 of them did. But even the women who didn't, Sage's Women's Center still showed them the unconditional love of Christ, because all life matters, the women and their children. And in our culture of division, well, that value is really diminishing. Now, the command to not murder, the forbidding of killing a person with malice intent, for most of us in the room, we have not broken this commandment. And for most of us in the room, it's unlikely that we will. So can we just be done then? Don't commit murder. Okay, no problem. And then we can just move on. Well, no. One, because I still have like 20 minutes. And two, 
Because as we will see, Jesus points to something deeper behind this command. Now, a simple question. What is the motive behind murdering someone? What are the reasons that murders take place? There's a lot of possibilities. Uh, Jealousy. Murders committed due to a romantic conflict. Or bigotry. Murder, someone is murdered because of hate for the group they're a part of. Or theft, where you murder someone for financial gain. Or revenge, where you murder someone who has wronged you. Or cover-up, where you murder someone to hide a wrong you have committed. You know, sort of like when the mafia will murder a witness to a crime. Now, there are probably more reasons that I haven't listed, uh, but there are a lot of reasons for murder. But is it possible that out of all these different reasons, all these different motives, that they are all related? Could there be one fundamental motive for murder that is behind every reason we could come up with? And the answer is, yes, there is. And it's quite simple. The universal motive for murder is, I think my life would be better if that person didn't exist. I think my life would be better if that person didn't exist. It's really that simple. Think about it. Jealousy. If that other person is gone, I have a better chance with my romantic interest. Bigotry. Those people are bad people. And the less of them that exist, the better it is for me. Or theft. If that person is gone, my life will be better financially. Or revenge. That person wronged me, so it would be better for me if they were gone. Or cover-up. That person could get me in serious trouble, so it would be better for me to eliminate that possibility. My life would be better if that person didn't exist. Now, if the motive for murder is to eliminate someone's existence because it would be better for me, then the value behind this command is to respect others' existence, even if it makes my life more difficult. Deal with the existence of others. Don't do away with others. Don't do away with others. Going to the passage uh, in 2 Samuel that we read this morning, now the background is that King David commits adultery with Bathsheba, and she becomes pregnant. And this happens during a time of war for Israel. And Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, is one of David's soldiers out fighting. Well, David comes up with a plan to cover up his sin. And so he brings Uriah home from battle so that he can sleep with his wife Bathsheba, and then it will look like that the child is Uriah's, not David's. Well, Uriah refuses because he doesn't think it's right to be home while his fellow soldiers are fighting. So then David does this, going back to verse 14 of 2 Samuel 11. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, his general, and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest, and then withdraw from him so he will get, be struck down and die. And so while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. 
And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Now, this is wrong on all sorts of levels. Uh, first of all, he made Uriah carry the message to the general Joab that was basically his death sentence. That's wrong. And then Uriah is not the only soldier who dies here. Other soldiers died along with Uriah in order for the scheme to work. And then David marries Bathsheba to make her pregnancy look legitimate. Now, the problem with looking at the Ten Commandments and just strictly looking at what the commandment actually is. Do not commit murder. Well, the problem with that, when we come to a case like this, the case of King David, did King David commit murder? Technically, no. He didn't kill Uriah. It was the opposing soldiers that killed Uriah. He just arranged it so that Uriah would die. But if we just look at a strict reading of the commandment, he technically didn't break it. But all of us can see, yes, he did. He broke the command. Well, was David motivated by the fact that if Uriah was dead, his life would be better? Yes. Did David do away with Uriah? Yes. Now, would David go to jail today for his role in Uriah's death? Yes, he would. David had enough, to, enough of a hand in his death, that even legally he would be found guilty of something. But remember the value. Respect others' existence, even if it makes my life more difficult. Don't do away with others. And even, Dave, even though David didn't actually kill Uriah, God held him responsible for his death because even if it wasn't literally murder, it was a creative way of doing away with him. David came up with a creative way of doing away with Uriah without actually killing him. Now, are there other creative ways to do away with someone, ways that don't even involve anyone dying at all? Of course there are. We can do away with others without having them killed. And there are methods for doing that. And Jesus picks up on this. He knows, Jesus knows, that most people will never ever commit murder. But he also knows that most people will find creative methods of doing away with others. And so he addresses it in Matthew 5, where he says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. What is he talking about? Jesus connects anger with murder. If anyone is angry with someone, they will be subject to judgment. Now, all of us get angry with others. People are irritating. And remember, our lists of pet peeves. We all have these pet peeves. Now, the anger 
that comes when someone annoys us is not what this is talking about. Look at the words Jesus uses. The first word he comes up with is raka. A good translation for that for us today is an idiot. Now, idiot is still a word we use pretty flippantly. Someone does something dumb and we call them an idiot. Well, when we flippantly call someone an idiot in those cases, we're really commenting more on their action than the actual person. Like that was an idiotic thing to do. But an idiot is someone who is a stupid person. And if we really think that someone is an idiot, it's not just that their actions are stupid, but they are stupid. Well, how much do we value their existence? The word fool is an expression of angry contempt. And if our anger has reached a point of having contempt for someone, contempt is despising someone. It's literally the opposite of respecting someone. So if we actually despise a person, how much do we value their existence? We live in a culture where we have contempt for those we disagree with. We live in a culture where we do not respect those that we disagree with. In our culture, the goal is to get rid of those people. It's called cancel culture. And we all participate in it. And one form of cancel culture is boycotting. Chick-fil-A and Hobby Lobby have been targeted by progressives. Bud Light and Disney have been targeted by conservatives. And in our culture, it doesn't stop with boycotting companies. Groups will be labeled. Even individuals will be canceled, meaning we are going to ostracize these groups and these people. They don't belong with us. That's our culture. And as 1 Corinthians 5 says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. So it's one thing for the world to love cancel culture. It's not okay for us. Now, boycotting is one thing. We do have choices where to spend our money. But we can't be canceling the people in our lives. We can't cancel those who make us angry. We can't cancel those who make our lives more difficult. Where we say in our hearts, well, that person really doesn't matter. Their opinion doesn't matter. Their well-being doesn't matter. I will have nothing to do with them. They are dead to me. Now that's an interesting statement. They are dead to me. Well, if someone is dead to you, didn't you just murder them in your heart? Jesus says, if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be subject to judgment. The idiots and contemptible in our lives, they still matter. And if you think of the reasons for murder, like someone has something we want, or someone is part of a group we don't like, or we're fighting over finances, or someone has wronged us, well, those are all reasons we use to cancel people. My personal favorite is politics, right? We've all heard, how can someone be a Christian and vote for Biden? Or how can someone be a Christian and vote for Trump? Jesus says, if you are angry with your brother or sister, you will be subject to judgment. 
even if it's their politics that makes you angry. Now, let's be clear. There are some people in our lives we need to maintain healthy boundaries with. Having boundaries with someone isn't the same thing as doing away with them. Doing away with them means their existence doesn't matter to you. Have you murdered anyone in your heart? Jesus died for our sins. Jesus rose from the dead. That is the gospel. It actually happened. And it changes everything. God values our lives even when we don't value him. Now the opposite of murder isn't to not murder. The opposite of murder is laying down our lives for another. Whether we do that literally or metaphorically. As Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Which is what Jesus actually did. Well, you could say Jesus didn't lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for his enemies. Jesus didn't cancel his enemies. He died for them. And if we're honest with ourselves, <laughs> all of us, at some point in our lives, we are all contemptible idiots. And Jesus doesn't look at our sins with contempt and say, you don't matter. Jesus did not do away with us. Jesus died for us. And we are called to do the same. You shall not murder. Please pray with me. And Lord, we are grateful that even in the very worst moments of our lives, you've never looked at us with contempt, but with love and grace. And I would ask that you would soften our hearts so that even if we do still have to maintain certain boundaries with people, that, Lord, in our hearts we would not have contempt for them and we would see them as you see them, with love and grace. And it's in the name of Jesus our Savior we pray. Amen. Receive God's blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.